All right, so how y'all doing this morning? Okay, you all know the proper three-word greeting this morning, right? I've heard it already seven times. You all know what it is, so say it together. That's it. It's you again? Or you could say it, it's you again. Oh, well, however, however that works. Oh, my. So you've been pursuing this theme uh, during this year of being intentional. And I don't know if others have stood here on a Sunday morning and suggested to you what you ought to be intentional about. I'm just assuming that's happened. But in that vacuum, uh, in the three Sundays that I've been invited to come and speak this month, I thought maybe I would share with you, if, you know, if, if it were my opportunity to tell you what's important to me that you be intentional about, that's what I want to do. And so this morning, I want to share with you uh, encouragement that you need to be intentional about praying for others. And we have things that we say we believe. So, for example, I'm wondering this morning, um, if you agree with any of these three statements, okay? So here's the first one. Do you agree with this? Prayer changes things. Well, that was a rousing yes. Okay, let's, let's try a second one. Uh, here's the second one. There's power in prayer. Okay, that's a little better. Good. I like that raised hand back there. That's agreement. Yeah, okay. Here's the third one. God answers prayer. Now, you believe all three of those, right? What is it? What is it that proves that you and I believe that? Is it raising your hand when I put them up on the screen? Is it raising your voice when I put it up on the screen? What is it? It's your life. It's your daily habit of prayer. That proves whether we really believe those things. Is that, do you agree with that? Okay. So, there's all these verses in the Bible about prayer. Do you have any favorite Bible verses about prayer? Pray without... There you go. That's a great one. Um, got any other ones? You all know God's telephone number, right? God's telephone number is Jeremiah 33.3. And of course, we all know what that says. It says what? Call, there you go. Who's got that? Victor, you got that? Call unto me. Now, you got the old King James like I do? Okay, here we go. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. That's God's telephone number. Um, how about uh, James 5.16? There's another good prayer verse. What's that one say? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man and woman... Okay, equal opportunity here. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man and woman does what? It accomplishes much. It avails much. And so we have all these verses about prayer. And some of them we've even memorized. But what is it that proves that we believe those verses are true? It's our lives. It's our daily habit in prayer. And so I want you to come with me this morning to um, the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books. Um, I was looking at my sermon notes, and I last time preached to the book of Ephesians eight years ago in 2010. And I thought, man, it's been a long time since I really got into the book of Ephesians. But 
This book is an amazing book. And we're going to jump in at the end of the book of Ephesians. So you need to understand there's something going on in the first five and a half chapters before you get to verse 18 of chapter 6. So in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to this church. He's writing to these believers. He's probably more heavily invested in the church in Ephesus than any of the other churches. He was there a minimum of two years. Some suggest even as much as three. He established a a school of theology there. Um, It was a training center. People were trained and equipped for ministry there. Paul loved the church at Ephesus. And if you take your Bible and come to the book of uh, Ephesians with me, in chapter 1, Paul begins by talking to them about the fact that they've received every spiritual blessing in the high places. And guess what? That's true for you and me too, right? He talks about them being predestined to adoption. They've been redeemed and forgiven. And he has all these great blessings that we've all received. And he moves from there in chapter 10. And he kind of backs up our chapter 2. There is no chapter 10, right? I was just checking. In chapter 2, he begins and kind of backs up and he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but, but what? But God, the two coolest words in the Bible. But God being rich in mercy, rich in love with He loved us. He saved us, not by works which we have done, but by grace through faith, right? That whole thing. And then he moves on from there and he expands this idea of all that we have in Christ. All that Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And he says, there was this great mystery. And I want you to understand the mystery is that God has redeemed Jews and he's redeemed Gentiles. And what has he done with these two groups of people? Brought them together into one body. And so Paul's whole focus in chapter 3 and chapter 4 as he moves on is this whole mystery thing of the Jews and Gentiles coming together, and he opens chapter 4 and begins to talk to them about their walk, how they live their life. And he talks to them about the one hope, one faith, one baptism, uh, unity, oneness, togetherness. Why is that important? These two groups have been light years apart, right? Jews and Gentiles? Jews and Gentiles weren't like, you know, kissing cousins, Right? Paul talks about them being strangers, aliens, and now in the the grace of God and through the cross, he's brought them together. And so Paul's whole focus here is on oneness, unity, togetherness. It is in the heart of the Apostle Paul. It was in the heart of Jesus and it's in the heart of God today that the body of Christ, the church, be unified, harmonious, and together. And he talks to them beginning in chapter 4 about their walk, how they live their life. He talks about them about walking in love. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk, the unbelievers. And he develops this whole theme of walking, walk in obedience. Don't uh, make the most of your time, he says in chapter 5. And as he comes to chapter 6, you're familiar with this passage. Vet's got the t-shirt on this morning, right, Vet? The armor of God shirt. Wrong verse on it, but uh, got the armor of God t-shirt. And so you're all familiar with the armor of God. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, as, as Paul is developing this whole theme of unity, oneness, togetherness, walking in obedience, walking as God wants us to live our lives. And we all want that, hopefully, right? We all want that. Paul says, finally, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, 
so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, <laughs> stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the, the girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, we could be here for the next six Sundays just talking about the armor of God, right? But Paul goes on from the armor and he says this. And this is where our focus is this morning. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know, the, the Apostle Paul was a pretty powerful personality, wasn't he? Yes. The Apostle Paul had the authority of an apostle. He had the that educational background trained under the, the Rabbi Gamaliel and his knowledge of, of the, the Hebrew faith and all of that. He had all of this powerful stuff in his life. And yet, what's he ask for here in verse 19 and 20? What's he say? Pray for me. Pray for me. And I would suggest to you this morning that um, this is one of the things that we need to be more concerned about. Um, it was O.M. Bounds, that great author who's written bunches of books about prayer. And he said this, prayer is not preparation for the battle, it is the battle. And you know, so often we hear sermons or we talk about the um, armor of God. But verse 18 is to me the really critical verse in this passage. Because the Apostle Paul says, after he tells us to put on the armor, stand firm against the schemes of the devil, how do we do that? With all prayer and petition. And so I want you to think about um, this, this idea this morning. And uh, here's where we're going to go. Um, Ephesians 6, are you getting used to me showing you other translations? This doesn't bother anybody, does it? You're okay with this? Um, uh, these tra the different translations kind of flesh out ideas. And so pay attention to the differences, kind of the nuances of how others have reflected on this passage. One of my habits in my Bible reading is as I meditate on a passage of Scripture, I rewrite the passage in my own words. Is that okay? Works for me. Because as I write that out and struggle a little bit, it kind of fleshes out how I'm understanding this verse. And so the New American Standard Translation, which is a very literal word-for-word -word translation, uh, says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Do you notice the word that's repeated there four times? 
All. There's other words that are repeated. Isn't it fascinating? All prayer and petition. Um, All times. (laughs) All perseverance. All the saints. I wonder if there's a reason why the Holy Spirit put the word all in there four times. <laughs> my, my, my first pastor, Dr. Charles Mays, used to say, all means all, and that's all all means. I, I like that word. Um, and so here's, a, here's another translation. Um, some of you have the NIV translation that you're looking at this morning. It says this, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And it's interesting that New American Standard uses the word pray at all times. NIV says pray on all occasions. That's interesting. We're going to talk about that. That's an interesting uh, understanding. Come on. I've got to aim this in the right direction. So the Living Bible says pray all the time. That's a good admonition, right? Interestingly, in the Living Bible, they take the phrase that in the New American Standard is the second phrase, all the, all, all the time, and they move it to the front of the sentence. Why do they do that? Because they wanted to make it more important, I guess, put it in the front. But it's the same idea. Pray all the time. Ask God for anything in line with the Holy Spirit's wishes. Plead with Him, reminding Him of your needs, and keep praying earnestly for all Christians everywhere. Today's English version, do all this in prayer. Do what in prayer? What's the this in that? Do all this in prayer. What's the this? There you go. Put on the armor of God. This translation very strategically connects prayer with the armor of God, which I think is Paul's intention. They do a good job. I like This particular expression, asking for God's help, pray on every occasion as the spirit leads. For this reason, keep alert and never give up. Pray always for all God's people. The message in the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. They make an even stronger appeal to join the praying with putting on the armor, don't they? I kind of like that emphasis. Um, Pray hard and long. (laughs) Pray for your brothers and sisters. That's interesting because that's the last phrase in all the other translations. The message moves it up in the middle. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Pray for each other. Contemporary English version. Never stop praying. That's interesting. They moved that phrase into the front. Um, Especially for others. That was the last. Notice how kind of they shuffle the word order around. Kind of distress different emphases. Um, always pray by the power of the Spirit. Stay alert. Keep praying for God's people. And this is the uh, complete Jewish Bible, which I like a lot. As you pray at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests in the Spirit, vigilantly and persistently for all God's people. And so if you're going to summarize what Ephesians 6.18 says to us this morning. How would you summarize that in one simple thought? Well, here's how Roy summarizes it, okay? Praying for others, interceding for others. I'll read this with me. Let's do this together. Intercession, praying for others, is the most powerful, far-reaching, influential act that a believer can do for another person. Let's say that one more time. Intercession, praying for others, is the most powerful, far-reaching, influential act that a believer can do for another person. 
I don't know if we really believe that. There's sometimes in my life where I wonder if I really believe that. Do we really believe that the most significant ministry that we have is praying for others? Well, let's, let's take a look at this passage and um, what Paul has to say here in Ephesians chapter 6. So first of all, I want you to notice this. He talks about having a strategy for prayer. And he introduces verse 18 with, in my translation, is the word with. It's a word that speaks of means, the channel through which you do something, the means by which you do something. And that word connects verse 18 with what? Verse 17 and the verses that precede it. As you put on the whole armor of God, do it how? With all prayer and petition. And so Paul suggests to me with that statement, with all prayer and petition, that I need to have a plan. I need to have a strategy. The word prayer means literally to ask toward. It's a, it's a strengthened form of simply the verb to ask. To ask toward. And it emphasizes the fact that we're making a request somewhere. We're asking toward. And when we pray, we're asking toward who? God. And it's good to just kind of take a moment and say, we're, we're, we're in conversation with the creator of the universe. We're in converse, conversation with the eternal, almighty, promise-keeping God that we're asking toward. The word prayer is kind of the big general term that's used in the New Testament for praying. The second word, petition, is the idea of an earnest appeal, begging for something, and an emphasis on a specific need. So as we're putting on the armor of God, Paul says we need to do this by means of praying petitions, asking God. Do you have a plan um, for praying for others. Do you, have a, do, you, do you have a plan? Do you have a plan in your life? And it's good to have spontaneous praying, right? Praying as you're taking a walk through the neighborhood. Praying as you're driving on the freeway. Eyes open, please. Um, but, you know, but it's spontaneous praying. But shouldn't there be a time and a place in my life, in your life, where I have a plan to pray? And I'm praying... For others, as Paul's encouragement is to hear, he says, have a strategy, have a plan. The second thing that I notice in what Paul has to say to me in this verse is he talks about a season for prayer. Um, my translation, the New American Standard, says pray at all times. You notice NIV when we were reading said pray on all occasions. Now, what's fascinating to me in this verse is there's two words in the original language for time. The first word is the word chronos. And that word chronos comes straight across into English with our English word chronology. Chronos time speaks about the passage of time. It speaks about time going by. Time in its biggest, broadest sense. The word that Paul uses here is not the word chronos, it's the word kairos. And that doesn't matter to you. Um, but this word doesn't talk about linear time, it talks about 
opportunity. It talks about strategic time. It's the, it's the word that, that Paul used when he said, um, make the most of time. The days are evil. Make the most of time. Opportunity. Um, in Greek mythology, one of the Greek gods in the Greek mythology, one of the sons of the god Zeus, was the god Kairos. Kairos was the Greek god of opportunity, the Greek god of luck and fortune. And the idea in Greek mythology was that the god Kairos is passing by. He's in motion, kind of like time going by. Time's going by. The Greek god Kairos is going by. And what you need to do is to grab a hold of that little lock of hair on the front of his head. He's moving fast. You want to seize it, grab on, grab the opportunity. What was the movie that Robin Williams was in that had the phrase carpe diem? Yeah, I knew somebody was dead. I don't know if it was poets, presidents. Who was that? Um, but in the movie, um, The Dead Poets Society, you remember Robin Williams with that great phrase, carpe diem, seize the day. Well, that's a little bit of what Paul's saying here. Seize the opportunity. So... In my mind, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, so the Apostle Paul views prayer, how how importantly? Pretty importantly. Seize the moment. Seize the opportunity. Prayer has value. That we seize it and take advantage of it. Kind of one of the problems that I see, and I'm guilty of this at times in my life, I confess, But for many of us, most of the time, prayer is response to a crisis. We don't have a plan of regular prayer. We don't have a plan to daily invest time alone with the Lord praying. But when there's a crisis, what do we do? You know, and we and we have this phrase that we use, you know, oh, man, we need to pray. You know, has it come to that? Is it that bad? We have to pray now? Wow. Um, so, I compare that to, um, most of you have one of these. What is that? Spare tire. When was the last time you looked at your spare tire? Never. Um, I hear stories all the time of someone who has a flat tire, and they go and they're looking for their spare tire. They've had the car, they've never seen it, but they're sure it's there somewhere. And uh, they, they go to the trunk and they're lifting up, the tr- and there's nothing there. They're underneath looking up, you know. They discover that one of the ways the car manufacturers today save money is how? They don't give you a spare tire. So it would have been nice to know that before you're on the side of the freeway, right? Um, other people... They have a spare tire. They haven't seen it for a long time. They get a flat. They go pull their spare tire out. And guess what? It's flat. My fear is that for many of us, we kind of treat prayer like a spare tire. It's there when and if we need it. I had my car. I bought it in March of 14. So I've had it four and a half years this month and i've seen my spare tire because i've looked in that little compartment in the back of my car a couple times in the last five years 
But I've never had to pull it out and use it, thankfully. I have no idea if there's any air in that spare tire. None. And we treat prayer, sadly, like that. Um, We ought to treat prayer a little bit more like this. And this is kind of old school because I don't know how many cars have spark plugs these days. But uh, back in the day, when I first started learning to drive 50 years ago, um, I remember having to go take my car in because Roy's not mechanical. Remember I told you that? I had to take my car in regularly. Why? To get a tune-up. The major part of the tune-up oftentimes is cleaning, regapping the spark plug. Why? Because if you don't have good spark plugs, you don't drive your car. Even if you have one spark plug bad out of six or eight or four, whatever the, you know, even if you only have one bad spark plug, what happens? You got problems. So we need to treat prayer more like a spark plug and less like a spare tire. Prayer is that strategic moment, that strategic opportunity, Paul says. Pray with all prayer and petition at all times, all occasions. And then he adds this third phrase, which I want to suggest, uh, is the source of our prayer. How should we pray? With all prayer and petition at all times, pray in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? There's a lot of weird ideas out there about what that means. But I kind of like the way that the Living Bible translates it or suggests the idea of pray in accord with the Holy Spirit's wishes and desires. We should be praying in accord with what the Holy Spirit wants us to be praying about. Do you remember that passage in Romans 8 where it talks about the Holy Spirit prays kind of for us on our behalf because we don't know what we're asking for? And the Holy Spirit has what? That, what's that word? Groanings. We need to find ourselves praying in harmony with God's will, with the will of His Spirit. How do you do that? Well, I would suggest to you the easiest way to do that, probably the simplest way to do that, is God has already expressed His will to us. How do you do that? In the Bible. And so in my prayer life, there needs to be an interaction with the Scriptures, reading the Bible, Coming, bringing my heart into harmony with, with the Holy Spirit. All prayer and petition, all times in the Spirit. You ever have trouble being distracted when you're praying? Oh, come on. Do you ever have trouble being distracted when you're praying? You're trying to pray, and maybe you've even got a list you're trying to pray down your list you're very focused on, and your mind's all the way out here somewhere. You ever experience that? All the time. And I used to think, you know, boy, that devil is really messing up my prayer life. He's got me thinking about all this other stuff. And why? Years ago, when I was pastoring in Modesto, one of our elders was really, really well known uh, for being a man of prayer. And I took him out to lunch one day and was asking him questions about prayer. I was trying to learn from Paul, just a wonderful, wonderful, godly man. And um, I asked him, I said, well, How do you deal with all the distractions? I'm distracted all the time. My mind is going 20 miles an hour. I'm out here, over there. I'm trying to pray. And Paul said this to me. He said, have you ever considered the possibility that the distractions are God's list of what you should pray for? 
And I said, no, that's never crossed my mind. He said, well, the next time you're praying and you find yourself distracted thinking about this activity or this thing you have to do, pray about it. So I'm focused in prayer, trying to pray it on my prayer list. And I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking about this appointment I have in two days and, and that's on my mind. What should I do? Pray about it. I'm praying and I'm thinking about this uh, Sunday school class I have to teach and the lesson I'm preparing. Um, what should I do about that? Pray about it. And probably more than anything else in my lifetime, that one thought has revolutionized how I deal with prayer. What if the distractions are God's prayer list? What if for those, it's, it's okay to pray for those things, right? Pray in accord with God's Spirit. And then, Paul suggests this fourth idea. Um, where do we find our strength for prayer? And, and he says here, by the way, in case you haven't discovered this, prayer is not for wimps. Prayer is not easy. Prayer is not simple. Prayer is, what's the next word? Hard. It's work. And, and so Paul has this thought, and he says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, with this in view. Keep your eye on this idea. Be on the alert with all perseverance. Be on the alert. Be awake. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Eden with the three disciples, Peter, James, and John? What did he tell them when he was going away to pray by himself? What did he say to them? Watch and pray. And what did they do? Sleep and snore. They didn't watch and pray. They slept and snored. And, and Paul, or, yeah, Paul says here, be alert. Be aware of what's going on around you. Be alert. You know, you pick up the morning newspaper and you read an article about some uh, earthquake in India or earthquake in Laverne. You know, you all were on your knees praying fervently for my wife and I this week when the earthquake hit one mile from my house, right? Nobody was praying for us. I'm bummed. Um, But, you know, you read your newspaper. um, you're, You're aware. You're alert. And there's opportunity for prayer. You ever been driving on the road and hear a siren and lights behind you and it's a fire truck going by or an ambulance going by? You know, there's an opportunity for prayer. Pray for the person that's been injured, the person that's on their way to the hospital. You know, be alert. Persevere. Hang in there. Keep on praying. Don't quit. Don't give up. Has anyone in this room been praying for someone to come to know Jesus longer than a year? Five years? Ten years? Twenty years? Thirty years? Forty years? Keep going. Don't quit. Fifty. Keep praying. Around here, right there, too. You know, he says, be strong in prayer. Don't quit. Don't give up. By the way, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but it just jumped into my little peanut brain. Do you know the prayer that never fails? The prayer that never fails. What is it? Thy will be done. That's the prayer that never fails. Because God's will ultimately is always going to be done. And so a lot of times when I'm praying, and I'm praying for something I've been praying for for a long time, you know, I'm pretty free telling God what I think is best. You know, this is what I think is good. This is what I want. 
This is what I'd love to see happen, but thy will be done. Persevere. Keep on. But keep that focus. And then he finishes the fifth point of my little outline. Who are we to pray for? He says, pray for some of the saints, right? Pray for most of the saints. Pray for all the saints. Why does Paul put the word all there? Why does the Holy Spirit put the word all there? Why? Because we need to be reminded to pray for all the saints. There's an old saying I've heard all my life. To dwell above with saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know. That's another story. And it's easy in the course of life, in the course of relationships, in the course of a church family, a church body, it's very natural for there to be disagreements. There's very natural for people to rub you the wrong way. I had someone tell me my last Sunday in Altaloma, after being there for 15 years, I had someone tell me, without saying names, that I had offended somebody 15 years before. And that's why they no longer attended the church. And I would tell you very honestly, probably I, I should be really grateful that all the other people that I offended stuck around long enough to kind of get over it, you know. Um, I'm sure I did a lot of things, said a lot of things that bothered people. Maybe I've said something here that bothered you. Um, but in the heart of God, his prayer and ambition for us is what? Harmony, unity together. And one of the best ways to do that is how? Prayer for each other. Pray for each other. Side of the freeway coming down the 605 freeway, there's a billboard that says, Real Christians love their enemies. That's good. There needs to be another billboard that says, Real Christians love other Christians. We need to pray for each other. And if you have a disagreement with someone, you have some issue, probably the best thing to do is to pray for them. Pray for them. You know, there's a list in your bulletin every Sunday that shows who's in the nursery and who's teaching the children and whatever. Um, that's like a prayer list, right? Do you pray regularly for the leaders of your church, the elders, those that serve? Um, pray for those that are involved. Pray for each other all the time. What we frequently do is someone will share something with us and our response is, I will pray for you. Is that a good thing? Now you're afraid I'm setting you up. Um, of course it's a good thing, a promise to pray for someone. I love it when people tell me they're praying for me. I'm encouraged when people tell me they're praying for me. 1,700 pastors quit the ministry every month. You need to pray for your pastor. I love it when people tell me they're praying for me. But instead of saying to someone, I will pray for you, wouldn't it be better to stop right there and say, 
Let's pray together right now. Last Sunday, I came in the back and was getting all hooked up with my Britney Spears outfit here and everything. And I was walking down here because I, I wanted to uh, talk to my wife and I had a question or something I was going to ask her. And I was walking down here and then I stopped because Tim was sitting with her and their heads were bowed. And I was pretty confident they weren't on their phones looking for lunch menus or, you know, I was pretty confident they were praying together. How did that happen? Well, my guess is, I don't have total story, but my guess is Tim made the mistake of asking Andrea how she was doing and she told him. And we had kind of a thing that was a challenge in, in our lives and family, and I'm confident that that's what she and Tim were praying about. Um, what a cool thing Tim did this morning, having us pray together. You know, here's a little tip. You don't have to wait for Tim to stand up here and tell you to pray together. When you come in on a Sunday morning, you could hook up with someone and say, hey, let's spend a couple minutes praying for the service this morning. Let's pray for the worship team. Pray for that guy that's here speaking again. Um, you know, let... You can do that, right? We need to pray for each other. I heard somewhere that it's the most powerful, far-reaching, influential thing that you can do for me and I can do for you. To pray. To pray for each other. Oh, well, let's look at this. Um, J.O. Frazier, missionary said this, I love this. He says, I'm not asking you to give help in prayer. This isn't about helping. He says, prayer isn't a sort of sideline, but I'm trying to roll the main responsibility of this prayer warfare on you. I want you to take the burden of these people on your shoulders. I want you to wrestle with God for them. Does that sound like a job description you're ready to sign up for? Now, here's the missionary asking people to pray for him. Because that was more than 100 years ago. Um, yeah, we need to do that. So here's where I want you to think that with me this morning. Um, we need to remember we're in a spiritual battle, right? Paul says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but principalities and power and the, the spirits. Um, we, 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 need to, we can't do this on our own, right? We can't do this on our own. Remember, we're in a spiritual battle. Um, and then I need to kind of reflect a little bit because I've discovered there's times in my life when I'd rather grumble and complain than pray. Anybody else ever do that? I'd rather grumble and complain. Um, am I a grumbler? Am I a complainer? Or am I a prayer? Um, I need to refocus. Am I guilty of talking to people about others or am I talking to God about them? And this happens so often in churches as well as any other group. You know, you get a little crosswise with somebody, and instead of talking to the Lord about it, you go share it with 16 people. What good does that do? I'll tell you one story I heard where it split the church. You know, instead of talking to people about other people and our issues and our concerns, um, we need to talk to the Lord, right? That's my reminder. And then people in the body of Christ, my fellow believers, here in Norwalk, state of California, the whole country across the world, um, are in need of my prayers. 
Now, this doesn't mean I need to pray for 12 hours a day, right? Hour a day. Start small. I'm going to plan. I'm going to just spend, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Start small. And maybe what you discover is that will kind of grow over time because it kind of goes and goes. But the importance of praying for others. Intercession is love on its knees. How do you really prove that you love your pastor? Pray for him. How do you really prove that you love each other? Pray. Intercession is the most powerful, far-reaching, influential act that you and I can do for anybody else. I developed a friendship with uh, older um, African-American gentleman that became a friend of mine, Solomon. And uh, the thing that forged our friendship, uh, Solomon was, was a part-time funeral director at Forest Lawn in Covina. And I was there conducting funeral services and had met Solomon two or three times and got to know him a little bit. And on this particular occasion, I ran into him in the, the lobby inside the mortuary building and we were chatting. And I found out for the first time, I'd known him for months, but I found out for the first time that his wife was home in a hospital bed um, in hospice care with cancer, not expected to live very long. And um, I said to Solomon, well, let me let me pray for you and Myrtle right now. Can I do that? And so we stood in the lobby at Forest Lawn and I prayed for Solomon and prayed for Myrtle. And he and I became like this. I used to introduce him as my father and tell people I was the white sheep of the family. Um, But it, it all began with spending time together in prayer, praying and When Myrtle passed away, Solomon asked me to conduct the funeral. Here I was, like one of like six white faces and two or three hundred black faces. Prayer. I love the story I heard many years ago. Missionary came home on furlough. He was a medical doctor in Africa. And his regular routine in his missionary career as a medical doctor was out in the bush, treating people, caring for people, their medical needs, sharing the gospel. But in order to do that, he had to go back to the big city where he would buy drugs and supplies to carry back out into the bush. Every two weeks, he made a two-day trip because the distance was too far to go. On a bicycle, by the way, my kind of missionary. And so he would get on his bicycle and ride one day, camp and spend the night, ride the next day into the city, buy his drugs and supplies, and then ride, spend the night, and back in the bush for two weeks. This was his regular routine. He tells the story of making this trip, coming into the city, and witnessing two guys fighting, decking each other, cleaning their clocks. And the one guy was pretty seriously injured, and so the doctor stopped and treated the young man that had been injured, shared the gospel with him, and continued on. Purchased his supplies, bought his drugs and whatever, back back into the bush. Two weeks later, he repeated the trip back in the camping spot, bicycle, back in the city. When he arrived in the city, the young man that he had treated two weeks before met him and 
told him that he and his friends knew that he carried money and drugs. And they knew that he had to stop in the middle of that trek because it was too far to go. So they knew he'd be camping overnight. So this young man told the missionary that he and his six friends uh, followed along behind the missionary. And when he camped for the night, they waited till dark until he went to sleep, intending to kill him and take his money and the drugs. But the young man told the missionary, we couldn't do that because of the 26 guards that were circling around your campsite. To which the missionary responded and said, there weren't any guards in the jungle there with me. Well, absolutely there were. All of my friends saw them. We counted them. There were 26 guards standing around your campsite. And as the missionary was telling the story, one of the men in the church jumped up and said, excuse me. He said, do you remember the date when that happened? And the missionary said, well, yeah, of course. I remember well. And he shared what the date was. And the man who was standing that had asked the question said, well, when it's nighttime in Africa, it's morning here. And I remember that morning, too, because I was on my way to the golf course. I had my golf clubs in the back of my car. I was on my way to meet my friends for a morning of golf. And God impressed on me how important it, that I needed to pray for you, that there was something urgent, something. In fact, God so impressed me with the need to pray for you that I called the men of the church together and asked them to come and meet me at the church to pray for you. He says, I wonder if those men are here present this morning. Would they all stand up? And they all stood up. And they counted all the men who were standing. And guess how many were on their feet? Twenty-six. Interesting. The most powerful, far-reaching, influential act that you or I can do for each other is to pray. Do you remember this little chorus? Sing it with me if you know it. God answers prayer in the morning. God answers prayer at noon. God answers prayer in the evening. So keep your heart in tune. Lord, we need this in our lives to be men and women of prayer. We need this reminder to pray for each other. And Lord, we would be quick to confess that we, we are too quick to complain and grumble. We're too quick to talk to other people about people that we're having conflict with. Lord, remind us this morning that you call us to prayer. With all prayer and petition at all times, pray in the Spirit. Being on alert with perseverance, praying for all the saints. Make that something that we are intentional about in the months ahead. Make that the reality in our lives and in our church is our prayer together. And we ask this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.